And I wanted to have you on today because there's this crazy story um, out of uh, Amazon and Europe in specific. And honestly, I kind of think a lot of this stuff is going on in America anyway, as you know. But uh, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, let me just show people what I'm talking about here. Uh, it's from Vice, and it is titled uh, Secret Amazon Reports Expose the Company's Surveillance of Labor and Environmental Groups. This is specifically uh, in Europe. I'll read you just a little bit. A trove of more than two dozen internal Amazon reports reveal in stark detail the company's obsessive monitoring of organized labor and social and environmental movements in Europe, particularly during Amazon's peak seasons between Black Friday and Christmas coming up. The reports obtained by Motherboard were written in 2019 by Amazon intelligence analysts who work for global security operations, the company's security division. Documents show Amazon analysts closely monitor the labor and union organize, organizing activity of their workers throughout Europe, um, as well as environmental and social justice groups on Facebook and Instagram. They also reveal an Amazon spokesperson confirmed that Amazon has hired Pinkerton operatives, the notorious spy agency known for its anti-union busting activities to gather intelligence on warehouse workers. So, again... We should say this is in Europe, but pretty sure it's transferable to America based on the things that have been reported already. Uh, Christian, based on your experience, what were your thoughts uh, reading about, I mean, CIA level surveillance uh, of Amazon workers in Europe? Um, yeah, this is worldwide. You know, you know, Europe is doing kudos to Europe because they're, they're really going after this company. Um, they got them in trial for the antitrust hearing right now, facing a $28 billion fine, as they should. 10% is only $28 billion to Jeff Bezos. That's pretty much nothing. But um, they're doing a better job over there than they are in the States. And um, I'm not surprised at all. This company obviously has the CIA surveillance capability. Um, they, they censor a lot of the stuff that I even put on my own Twitter page. So I'm pretty sure... They've been watching uh, a lot of these organizations over here in the States as well, just as much as they're doing over there in Europe. I'm not surprised. I'm more disgusted than anything. And the thing that, uh, to me, is most troubling is it's kind of like for if, you know, there is talks of like a general strike or how do we organize this and that. But essentially, uh, you know, the in the 1950s and 60s, you had strong labor unions partly because of the numbers, but also because, you know, the bosses couldn't know every single step of what you were doing and they couldn't, you know, they didn't know your, your strategy fully. They might not know exactly when you were going to strike those kind of things. But this is kind of like um, basically cutting, cutting it off at the head uh, even before yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, organized labor Amazon workers are able to fight back in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, this is crossing the line. You know, they're watching your social media. Um, they're tracking, you know, your, your private Instagram accounts. They're doing everything. You know, they're going above and beyond what an employer should be doing overall. You know, your employer should be you clock in, you clock out, you know, you go about your life. But instead, they're invading your privacy. You know, so to so some, some degree that once again, tracking your social media, seeing who you're talking to. 
you know, trying to block certain information from getting to you. And people wonder why you see these propaganda commercials all over the place. It's because that's what they're meant to do. Um, they're meant to target you, brainwash you to the point where people actually feel like they need Amazon. And, and that's what we're dealing with in the 21st century. But as you can see, uh, this company is way too powerful and they're controlling the market and it needs to be demopolized. This is what happened when you don't demopolize these type of corporations. And why do you think it is that uh, Europe and the European uh, government seems to be going at Amazon, whereas the United States, uh, or uh, as I call it, United Corporations of America, I mean, nothing. <laughs> you have these show tri you have these show hearings with Mark Zuckerberg and um, Jeff Bezos and the Twitter CEO, but there's not as of now, there doesn't seem to be any teeth underneath it uh, to actually go after Amazon. Not just for the fact that they've done illegal things as a monopoly, like stealing other companies' um, intellectual property and ideas and software but, and data. data, but now, I mean, basically tracking not only its own workers, but outside organizations. Why does the United States government just look the other way? <laughs> Good question. Good question. You know why? Because they got their money in their back pockets as well. That's what it is, you know, corporatized. Um, in the UK, at least I can say uh, they're unionized as well. Their Amazon facilities over there are unionized. Over here, all the, I think it's about 300 facilities, uh, fulfillment centers across the nation. Um, they're not unionized. None of them. Not one of them. And this is the difference between being protected and unprotected. Uh, we're unprotected as essential workers. And that's a shame for us to be a necessity and be deemed as essential workers and we're supposed to be the lifeline of the whole pandemic right now because we're on the front lines. We're, we're delivering packages. We're, we're delivering essential needs. But we're not being treated as essential workers. We are unprotected. We're getting fired. We're being exploited. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We have no Medicare uh, that, that is going to be uh, covering all our medical expenses, especially for those with underlying health conditions. And in the UK, they are unionized. And if, you, uh, if you're not leading up to their their demands, then they will strike back. They will shut down their facilities. They will take it all the way up to the courts and they find the company. They hold them accountable. We don't do that over here. And, you know, it seems to me also, it's not just that they're surveilling um, employees, but they're also trying to squash even the most minor political dissent. Uh, Shama Sawant uh, out in Seattle. She's been like one of the few politicians out in front trying to tax Amazon. And now after Amazon uh, spent a million dollars on trying to get rid of her in the last Seattle City Council race, I mean, a million dollars is a hell of a lot of money for a, a local city council race. Now, all of a sudden, she's facing a recall uh, uh, petition to recall her as a yeah. city councilman. Uh, I tend to think Amazon is behind that. So it's kind of like their tentacles is not just in surveilling their own employees, Absolutely. firing and scapegoating you when you were just trying to get safe conditions during a pandemic. Now they're trying, they lost democratically. They couldn't get rid of her uh, in Seattle uh, by spending over a million dollars. Now they're trying to recall her. Yeah, that's exactly why we're heading out there. Um, you know, indirectly, I don't want to say it over here, but because uh, they are watching her. And I know that for sure. And I just want to say that workers do stand in solidarity with that bill. And anybody in Seattle should support that bill. 
Um, we need that bill. That bill is a catalyst for what we should be doing nationwide. Um, give Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris some thought on what what type of uh, uh, what tax wealth that they should implement on the wealth on the wealthiest. So so um, yeah. Another thing that we have to think about is um, uh, Jeff Bezos. After Joe Biden got elected, you know he he reached out or he he put something on Twitter to show you know congratulations. You know it's kind of like they're licking their chops, um, getting into the Democratic Party and, and and getting into these politicians' back pockets. So we got to make sure we expose that, um, stand in solidarity with the bills for the taxing the wealth, and also make sure that we hold our, our elected officials accountable as well i want to read uh just a little bit of this hold on so in europe amazon uh the documents um here we go uh amazon's approach of dealing with its own work workforce labor unions and social and environmental uh movements as a threat has grave implications for its workers privacy and ability to join labor unions and collectively bargain not only in europe but should also be concerning to customers and workers in the United States. Amazon intelligence analysts appear to gather information on labor organizing and social movements to prevent any disruption to its order fulfillment operations. This new intelligence reports obtained by Motherboard reveal in detail how Amazon uses social media to track environmental activism and social media movements in Europe, including Greenpeace and Fridays for Future, environmental activists Gledith Greta Thunberg's global climate strike movement and perceives such groups as a threat to its operations. The piece also went into the fact that uh, they were basically monitoring how many uh, meetings, labor meetings or union meetings, their workers. And this this is the most rich part about it because you got Jeff Bezos, you know, he likes every now and then to create like a, you know, a priest, uh, pre-K school for underprivileged kids or like Amazon creates an initiative to fight climate change, but then they're turning around and basically surveilling real climate movements. I I bet they're surveilling the Sunrise Movement too here in the United States because the things that Jeff Bezos does is for show. His philanthropy for certain causes and groups is for show, but they are actually surveilling, i.e. suppressing real movements because, frankly, Amazon is one of the biggest contributors to cl- the uh, climate crisis outside of the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just donated, what, $800 million last week. Um, but once again, I, I want to bring back, go back to that point, just the fact that, uh, that they're surveilling these different movements. You was at the last action I did out there, and uh, you covered the entire event, what we did in Beverly Hills. And what did we do? For the first time in probably, you know, a long time or the first time ever, at least what's going on in the last several months, we included the environmental movement. We had Extinction Rebellion out there. We had a social injustice. We had uh, members from Black Lives Matter out there, um, teachers unions as well, and the labor movement. We combined all these movements and they surveilled it. We went to Jeff Bezos' residence and what happened? He sent out a drone and scrambled everybody's service so that we lost connection from the rest of the world as we were live streaming. So these are, this is not a coincidence. This is exactly what they're doing. Joe Biden, you know, everybody was kind of, a lot of people were holding their nose because uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Well, now it's Joe Biden. Uh, and, you know, the people he's appointing, I'm not asking you about people in particular, but 
I mean, they're your cardboard cutout, uh, you know, Democratic Party, neoliberals, Wall Street's great, uh, global trade is great, and they take a hell of a lot of money from Amazon, Jeff Bezos, Silicon Valley, and frankly, this whole build in America, build back better, um, there's not really much talk about monopoly. There's not really much talk. They give lip service to small business, but they don't actually focus on the fact that Amazon, through many uh, borderline illegal or illegal practices, is putting small businesses out of business. And uh, they don't, I hear no talk about the fact that, I mean, you're talking, you might know the number, the exact number, but you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of Amazon workers uh, are COVID, had COVID. Uh, because the richest man in the world didn't provide basic uh, service, basic PPP uh, quick enough. So are you seeing anything about uh, from the incoming administration that makes you think uh, there might be some more adversarial uh, approaches to Jeff Bezos and Amazon? No. <laughs> no, I haven't. And um I don't expect it. You know, like you said, I, I don't expect them to, to sever their ties from their corporate donors. You know, they this it is what it is. Uh, this is a corporation. And um, the, the right candidates are not talking about it. I mean, they're, they're, they're the ones that making the, the decisions like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. This is the administration now. Um, they need to be the ones that are speaking up on the things that uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC does. They sit there and they go through the numbers. They know what Amazon is doing. They tweet it from here, you know, here and there. You'll see their tweets. They know what's going on with the essential workers and Amazon employees and Jeff Bezos. But they're not the ones that can make the decisions, you know. So once again, we got to hold them accountable on day one. You know, we can't allow another four years of what's been going on. So I'm hoping that once again, the, the, the actions that we're doing, the demonstrations that we're doing, the labor movement, the environmental and social injustice movement, don't give up, continue to continue fighting out here in these streets and hold these elective officials once again accountable. I want to read one more part because this is some like dystopian early, early 20th century kind of stuff. But they were using the Pinkertons, which is like a notorious spying agency that uh, spied on and helped, frankly, kill uh, labor unions, uh, uh, labor strikers, particularly coal strikers in the early 20th century in America. Uh, so in, in the report from November 2019, however, an analyst wrote that Amazon hired Pinkerton spies who were inserted into a warehouse in uh, Warklar, Poland. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing to investigate an allegation that management coached job candidates on how to complete job interviews and possibly even conducted the process for them. The Pinkerton spies were posted in a uh, Warclaw warehouse known as WRO1, operated by the Amazon contractor AD Adeco. To investigate the allegation, according to the Amazon report, Pinkerton operatives were uh, inserted into uh, WRO1 Adeco between. Uh, November 19th, November 19th, 2019 and November 21st, no identifiable evidence of coaching on behalf of the agency recruiters were observed. The report refers to the Pinkerton detective agency, which in the late 19th century and early 20th centuries supplied detectives to infiltrate unions and hired violent goon squads to intimidate workers from engaging in union activity. So that brings me to listen, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but let's say, you know, we're, we're headed to a COVID depression, unfortunately. 
Uh, the economy is in shambles. It's only going to get worse. Uh, and let's say you really have kind of uh, maybe it won't right away be a general strike, but you have a lot more people. Uh, that want to participate in economic strike and economic boycotts, uh, to try to collect, join labor unions. Well, from the sounds of it, I don't know if you would be able to know how many of those people are actually pure unemployed workers versus Amazon moles. I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but how do you know? <laughs> it seems like Amazon, like we've seen at the Standing Rock protests and, and other, uh, they are trying to infiltrate labor unions, environmental groups, and whatnot to uh, sow dissent or at least get intel? Man, I can tell you, you know, uh, we don't know. That That is the scariest thing. You don't know. Um, I advise everybody that is a, a, a activist or a leader of this movement, um, start your vetting process, tighten it up right now, because that's the best that we can do. Um, I already had several situations where I thought that somebody worked for the company. Uh, they even spied on, on Zoom calls. They do. They go to the extreme. You never know. So um, all, all I can say is we have to just continue to tighten our, our circle up, uh, make sure that we, we vet everybody that we allow into our organizations or our unions, um, vet them out to your fullest extent. Um, we have to fight power with power. That's what we have to do. Hey, can you kind of talk? So as oh, we, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, so as we they infiltrate, we have to do the same thing. We have to tell people to go work for Amazon to try to unionize it. So that's how we uh, we fight power with power. And can you kind of talk about um, you filed a lawsuit uh, against the company? It's being you know it's being slow walked right now, um, but obviously Amazon has been making bank uh, during this pandemic while uh, its workers have been devastated. Uh, as far as I know, they they uh, reduced hazard pay as soon as they can uh, from. From the people that you still know that are working at Amazon, uh, has Amazon spooked people into not talking to you yet? Uh, or if you are still speaking with people, what are the conditions that you're hearing about still at Amazon warehouses around the country? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm grateful because they haven't spooked people. They actually uh, motivated people, encouraged people to come speak to me now. Um, just by what's been going on in the articles, uh, you know, it's, they did take away the hazard pay back in June. They've been stopped the unlimited paid time off. So now you have people that have to be forced to either quit or forced to go to work and possibly contract this virus. And you're now seeing people afraid about their future and their families, you know, their safety, their livelihood. It's still going on. There's still people in that very same facility that are contracting this virus. I hear the horror stories. Uh, people still reach out to me daily. Um, nationwide. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy to have this platform still to uplift their stories because what that's exactly what we do when we go protest and we uh, we do these demonstrations. We're telling the stories of these workers that are afraid to speak up are those who have, have underlying health conditions that are at home right now. And if you hear about Amazon hiring, um, 175,000 people are whatever amount of people are going to hire over the holidays. It's not a good thing. Um, these facilities are breeding grounds for COVID-19. I can tell you that right away. And and the people that they're hiring are replacements for the, the vets that's been there for two, three, four, five years that are quitting right now. They're quitting because they can't deal with the mental stress. They can't deal with the fact that this, this company failed to protect them. And they're seeing their coworkers get sick on a daily basis. So they don't know which way to turn. And you got to think the vast majority of the workforce is black, brown, or um, indigenous or immigrant. 
So that's why I filed a class action lawsuit, because once again, it's going to represent the class that the, the majority of the mass of Amazon's workforce. And um, yeah, it's never going to be Amazon versus Chris Smalls. It's going to be Amazon versus the people. And uh, what's going on? I know you guys are headed to Seattle. Uh, we spoke about Shama Sawant. Uh, what are you going? What's going on in Seattle soon? Uh, what are you going to be doing? Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to give a different meaning to Black Friday this year. You know, um, I felt it's necessary after all the, the protests we've been doing in Jeff Bezos' residence. Um, we started in New York. We headed to D.C. Uh, we did Beverly Hills a few weeks ago. Um, he has a home in Seattle, Medina, Seattle, I believe. So we're going to do we're going to hit him uh, at the headquarters and we're going to also visit his residence again. And once again, we're going to combine the labor movement, the social injustice movement, the environmental movement. And you're going to hear stories from uh, Amazon workers um, at these actions. So uh, and we're also absolutely going to stand in solidarity with Shama. Uh, so we have multiple reasons to be going up there. Um, and I'm just looking forward to this because uh, once again, we're going to give a different meaning to Black Friday this year. Uh, boycott the company. Yeah, boycott the company. Uh, cancel your prime. Stand in solidarity with the workers until they take care of them. I, I, I'm not going to get into uh, Biden naming Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary, like who Janet Yellen is. I'd rather talk to someone who's an expert. So I've reached out to uh, Dave Dayan from the American Prospect, who has really, really done amazing work on uh, not just coronavirus, but who um, who the people is looking at the American Prospect has looked at who Biden's potential um, cabinet officials are. He is now naming Janet Yellen as his Treasury Secretary. Janet Yellen was the Federal Reserve Chair. Not going to lie to you, I don't know a lot about her, but from what I've read and heard, she's your traditional neoliberal thinker. So that's not good. Uh, but I will get into that more. But I want to get into, to me, the bigger point about um, Joe Biden naming Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary. And it goes to what happens when people with progressive inclinations like Elizabeth Warren, who I do believe when she entered the Senate in 2012, really was progressive at heart. Um, Elizabeth Warren, we heard it from progressive activists. We heard it from progressive think tanks. We heard it from Sunrise. We heard it from Justice Democrats. We heard it from a whole lot of people. Um, lobbying for Elizabeth Warren to be Treasury Secretary. I said, I think Krista Ball said, I think anyone with a brain said, Eliz I mean, I, I said, I don't think Elizabeth Warren's going to get a parking pass to the White House under a Joe Biden administration, much less Treasury Secretary. And this whole, you know, selling out Bernie Sanders in 2016, then in 2020 again, all because somebody told you, I think she said Lawrence Summers or somebody back in the day told her, you know, uh, you have more power inside the room than outside the room. So you just you got to get inside the room to even begin to fight for your progressive legislation. Well, the question is, how do you get inside that room? How do you get inside that room? And I think Elizabeth Warren, I think Elizabeth Warren wrongly believed that, you know, and somebody when I tweeted out, I mean, I tweeted this out, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, e. Warren sold out Bernie Sanders twice in four years and hasn't even gotten a White House parking pass for it. I believe Elizabeth Warren truly believed 
that if I sit it out in 2016, if I sit it out in 2020, and in 2020, her sitting it out, meaning not endorsing Bernie Sanders, was even more damaging. Because I think there is reason to believe that if Elizabeth Warren would have dropped out after she came in, I believe, third place in the New Hampshire primary, I think Bernie Sanders would have won the would have had a, a even bigger blowout in the Nevada caucus. I think Bernie Sanders would have not lost uh, South Carolina by almost 30 points. And more important, Joe Biden loses a few of those states that he won on Super Tuesday because the margin of Joe Biden defeating Bernie Sanders in several of those states was Elizabeth Warren's vote percentage. So, you know, devil's advocate, you know, woke... Warren women could say, Jordan, Warren didn't owe Bernie anything. To that, I agree. It's not specifically that Warren owed Bernie. It's that if Warren wants to describe herself as a progressive, as a progressive, that you owe the progressive movement, you owe progressive, uh, potentially future progressive legislation, progressive change, you owe it to them to do every single thing you can to actually push over the top the remaining progressive candidate. But Warren truly believed that if she played ball, if she sat it out again, if she stayed in through Super Tuesday, which I don't think was an accident, she knew after New Hampshire she had no chance. She knew after Nevada she had no chance. She knew after South Carolina she was done. She stayed in, I believe, to block Bernie Sanders. The reason I can't get in her head, was it the snake emojis, which is completely petty and ridiculous? Uh, Was it the fact that, you know, Bernie had the gall to fight against the spears that he had said, you know, I don't think a woman could ever beat Trump. But by her staying in, by her leaking to the media that Bernie said these things, that you can't beat uh, uh, Trump, it essentially handed, handed the Democratic nomination to uh, Joe Biden and Obama and the things he did, which I'm actually about to get into in a little bit. So why is this important? We're not just, I'm not just poking at Elizabeth Warren and looking backwards for the hell of it. I'm, I, I think it tells a lesson about progressive politicians and progressive activists that become politicians because I truly believe if you look back I think when she became senator she actually was more along the lines of an AOC a Rashida Tlaib an Ilhan Omar a Ro Khanna Jamal Bowman Cory Bush not the same color not the same experience but true instincts progressive instincts not to play ball so to speak but I'm just a player in the game but I think Washington corrupted her. And there's different levels of corruption. There's the, you know, uh, insider trading level corruption, you know, using your uh, roles in subcommittees or your roles as a congressman or senator to have inside information and then buy stocks or dump your stocks. That's one level of corruption. And then there's just the corruption of the average Tuesday, which is, you know what? I'm going to. Be a player in the game. I'm going to sell out my principles to get ahead. 
And I think that's what she did because she wrongly put aside the moral, the moral ramifications. She was, didn't understand how politics works. She had terrible political strategy. She believed that if she didn't endorse Bernie in 2016, she would have more power in a potential Hillary Clinton administration. And maybe Hillary Clinton would either, even appoint her to something. Can't prove a negative. Hillary Clinton didn't win. But I, again, think there was very little chance of Elizabeth Warren being appointed to anything. Why? Because Hillary Clinton and now Joe Biden aren't the ones that fundamentally make the decisions. We live in the United Corporations of America, folks. It's not Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden's technically naming Anthony Blinken as Secretary of State. He's technically naming Janet Yellen as the Treasury Secretary. He's probably going to name um, Michelle Florinay, you know, woke imperialism, as Abby Martin told me, who is a defense contractor's dream as Treasury, uh, as Defense Secretary. Looks like she, he's going to name that neoliberal uh, corporatist hacked Heidi Heitkamp as agricultural secretary. So, yes, technically Biden is picking these people, but he's picking these people within the system and the, the prism of his donors because he knows what Wall Street and special interests and donors will be happy with and what the what the line is and where you can't cross that line. So same thing. Why did Barack Obama choose not to appoint Elizabeth Warren to, the, to be the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? Even though she created it. That should have been her first red flag signal. It don't matter how much ball I play. I'm never going to get appointed anything, anything real. I'm never going to actually be. Maybe, maybe one day I'll get inside the room. They'll let, whatever I say will go in one ear, out the other. Why? Because Wall Street would revolt. And these politicians listen to Wall Street, Warren. They don't listen to grassroots people. They don't listen to, to you. They listen to the bourgeoisie. They listen to the oligarchy. This is a lesson, I think. Not that I'm seeing Warren vibes here, but I think this is a lesson for AOC. I think this is a lesson for Rashida Tlaib. I think it's a lesson for Ilhan Omar. I think it's a lesson for Pramila Jayapal, Cori Bush, Jamal Bowman. And it's easy for YouTube hosts to say this. I think AOC is right when she says, you think it's corrupt? You have no idea until you get there. You think there's pressures on you to sell out? Wait till you get there. It is no joke. So I don't want to minimize the pressures these people are up against. But what I want to say is, don't think if you keep playing ball with, let's say, Nancy Pelosi, if you keep being diplomatic, if you, ref if you refuse to speak out against her, if you, may if you make concessions where you won't primary or support a primary against a certain Democratic incumbent because Pelosi and the leadership has asked you not to. Don't think if you don't speak out or if you do give them your vote on X, Y, and Z uh, legislation because they give you the subtle or direct um, inclination that if you go my way on this, I'll let Medicare for All have a floor vote or something like this. Once you start making these mini compromises, because to be clear, you do have to compromise as an elected official. 
even a progressive one. You do have to compromise. Compromise isn't a dirty word, but there's compromising strategically, and then there's selling your soul for nothing. Don't think, like Elizabeth Warren, that if you start making these many, many deals with the devil, if you start basically selling, and when I say selling your soul, it is selling your soul. It was a clear choice in 2016. Bernie Hillary, she sat it out. It's a clear choice when you clearly have no way of winning. When you've come in third place in New Hampshire, which is the backyard of Massachusetts, uh, that you stay in, you are selling your soul. You know full well that Biden, Obama, the entire neoliberal uh, plutocracy wants you to stay in because your votes keep Bernie from winning these states. That's what happened in many of the Super Tuesday states. So she made a deliberate decision thinking, and I'm sure she, the New York Times reported that during her campaign, in addition to the selfies with everyone, she was going around the country uh, drinking hot tea with a who's who of the Democratic Party establishment on the local level uh, and on the state level. But the thing is, when you do that, when you make decisions, either not endorsing or endorsing certain things, thinking that they will finally pay you back later, what you're not realizing is it doesn't even matter if they pay you back later. Whoever told you being inside the room is better than being outside the room is wrong. I also want to comment on um, President Rewrite History, a.k.a. President Obama. I don't really talk about Obama a lot because what's the point? He's gone. But he is doing his book tour now. Um, what is it called? The Promised Land or some nonsense like that? Um, and, I mean, the hypocrisy, the contradictions are thick. I haven't read the book. I, I don't really want to read the book. But I, I've seen some of his interviews. Um, the things he says... And the media will never call him on any of this because they're too busy slobbering over Obama. They've been slobbering over him for over two decades now. But Obama literally is gaslighting people in these interviews and very few people are even noticing to the, the degree of the stench. Let me play you this clip in particular that really, really riled me up. That That is a much more... Um you know, in Mario Cuomo's terms, it's 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 uh, it's prose and and not poetry. And and so part of my challenge as as president was campaigning in some high poetry, uh, using a writer's sensibility to describe who we are, what we might be. But once you get to governing, and then I'm dealing with Mitch McConnell and John Boehner and Ben Nelson and Robert Byrd and. Uh, sometimes progressives, in particular, overestimate the degree to which high rhetoric is going to actually move votes. Um, because so, the country's uh, and And what I wanted to add to that and where I wanted to go from there is young people. You said you were writing this book explicitly to younger people. So right. what is your diagnostic for the unfinished business that they have to take up as they move alongside us and as they as they come to lead us? Well, I am so excited to see this generation coming up. Um, if if us old folks will just get out of the way, <laughs> and and uh, uh, and that's true culturally. It's true in terms of our politics. Um, 
Uh, I think their instincts are really good. Uh, they in uh, it is second nature for them to believe uh, that uh, all people uh, have have intrinsic worth and dignity. Uh, it is second nature for them uh, to not discriminate pe uh, against people because uh, their differences in race or uh, uh, gender identity or uh, you know their, who who they uh, pray to, um, and and they're sophisticated, they're smart, they. Yeah, so I couldn't take any more of that, but you get the point. Gaslighting, gaslighting, gaslighting. And the, the most ironic part of all this, the most ironic part of this is when he says, you know, old folks like us, we just got to get out of the way. Just get out of the way, old folks. Well, you didn't exactly feel that way when you meddled in the Democratic primary. Br President Obama, literally, Again, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time fixating on the Democratic primary, but these people are just full of shit, excuse my French, swear jar. Bernie Sanders was maybe 10 days away from clinching the Democratic nomination. So I know a lot of progressives are, de are, are very dejected right now. But remember, this calendar year, a progressive was very close to actually becoming the Democratic nominee. And President Obama, after... Joe Biden, you know, frankly, uh, whooped everybody's butt in South Carolina with the assistance of James Clyburn. He literally inserted himself, uh, pressuring Pete Buttigieg to drop out of the race, pressuring Amy Klobuchar to drop out of the race. It's not easy to get either of them to drop out of the race. I'm pretty sure certain things were promised. It's being talked about and reported that Pete Buttigieg is one of the leading contenders to be uh, VA secretary, which would be perfect for that empty vessel. Uh, my favorite would be if he becomes a HUD secretary. Uh, as you know, he bulldozed a thousand homes in a thousand days, mostly in black and Latino parts of South Bend. So he'd be perfect for housing and urban development, seeing what he did to South Bend. But Obama says, I trust the instincts of young people. Old folks need to get out of the way. Well, the instincts of young people, by and large, based on the data, was Bernie Sanders was the future. Might seem like an oxymoron considering he was 78, 79 when he was running, but the youth were behind Bernie because it's not about age to the youth. It's about policy. It's about what are you proposing? What do you stand for? And the youth that Obama says needs to be at the forefront and the old folks need to get out of the way, the youth was with Bernie. And Obama said to those youth, I know better. I know better. This isn't my opinion. Here, remind you from Politico. Some of Obama's aides now concede that behind the scenes, Obama played a role in nudging things in Biden's direction at the crucial moment when the Biden team was organizing former candidates to coalesce around Biden. Nudging is an understatement. Quote, I know he did a few things, said one longtime close advisor to Obama. He was talking to Biden regularly in that period. I don't know exactly what he said, but you could speculate. It's noteworthy that he called Klobuchar and the others right when they got out. Well, 
it was also reported that he called them to get out. A person with knowledge of Obama's conversation with Buttigieg after the former Indiana mayor exited the race explained it this way. Obama talked to Pete that night, the night that Pete dropped out. When Pete told Obama that he was 99.9% of the way there in terms of endorsing Biden, I would say that Obama was encouraging. But I would also say that Obama was very careful not to be seen as putting a thumb on the scale. He and the people close to him are very careful about the optics, the 2016-style optics. Sanders and his supporters had reason to believe the party put the thumb on the scale for Hillary in 2016, and he wanted to avoid that. Obama wasn't the driving force, but he was encouraging of people who had those instincts to rally around Biden. But he was very cautious and discreet in how he operated. Uh, no fucking way. I don't believe any of that for a second. Obama... He might have not called and said, you know, do as I say or there will be consequences. But when Obama is calling you as a candidate, when you're considering dropping out, he ain't calling to talk about the weather, folks. And Pete Buttigieg, he could read the political, temp- he could read the political winds. He knows that Barack Obama is still the most popular politician, Democrat in America. Um, he knows well, Bernie's the most popular, uh, but uh, Biden, excuse me, Obama, most popular Democrat. And Pete Buttigieg knows, wait, if I do this thing that Obama clearly wants me to do, Obama's going to be there for me if I run for Senate. Obama's going to be there for me if I run for the House. Obama's going to be there for me if I run for president again in eight years. And having Obama support fundraising, possibly email lists, possibly the DNC behind me. Yeah, I'll get out. I'll stand on stage with a lifeless Joe Biden. Sure. Amy Klobuchar, same thing. Uh, Didn't seem to me that Amy was in any hurry to drop out after South Carolina, even though she knew she had no chance. Her national profile was rising. Uh, You know, it could help her in a variety of ways to stay in uh, through Super Tuesday. She knew she wasn't going to win, but... Why not? She did have money uh, coming into her after a stronger-than-expected finish in the Iowa caucus. Um, Did fairly well in the New Hampshire primary. Uh, And all of a sudden, she drops out. And all of a sudden, within three days, it's not only that they endorse Joe Biden. It's it's one thing to endorse, drop out and endorse him. They quickly got on stage together in Texas before Super Tuesday. That's not by coincidence, folks. That is a product. It doesn't even require Obama telling them to do it. Obama is indirectly and directly involved in all of it. Why? Because he doesn't give a damn what the young generation wants. He doesn't care that the young people were supporting Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, because Obama's whole spiel was the poetry of politics, oratory, You know, making people feel tingly. Remember Chris Matthews? I have a tingle in my leg over Obama. Something, whatever he said. It wasn't actually that he cared about progressive policies. The guy bragged on his way out of the presidency that I've, you know, there's been more natural gas drilling under me than any other president. He's not a capital P progressive. He's a moderate to right winger. And he prides himself on being that well on being that way yet 
if you look at who Biden is naming as Defense Secretary, uh, uh, Secretary of State, Treasury Secretary, uh, soon to be Defense Secretary, it's like an Obama class reunion. It's a bunch of people who worked in the Obama administration. We're having a third Obama term, basically, through Biden. So it's completely disingenuous for Obama to be sitting here. I think old people need to get away today. It's not about your age. Bernie was older than Obama. He does not believe that the old ideas should go away. He does not believe that the Democratic Leadership Council, that neoliberal politics, which basically comprises of market forces, Wall Street, globalization, he does not believe that those ideas should go away. He believes, I know better. Lawrence Summers knows better than the young people. And young people, you know, keep that, keep that hopeful optimism, hope and change, all that good stuff. But, you know, the adults in the room, we know better. That's who he really is. And that's who all of these people interviewing him are slobbering over. And that is the danger of woke politics. That is the danger of identity politics. Because all of these picks now, Michelle Florday, it's going to be lauded. She's going to be celebrating when she gets named as defense secretary because she's the first female defense secretary. All right, great. A vagina in control of imperialism instead of a penis. Seriously. Sorry to be crass, but that's the reality. Uh, I think Biden just chose as his director of national intelligence, uh, African-American woman who is another. Uh, from what I read, she was deeply, deeply involved in uh, the United States surveillance state. But she's a black woman. Uh, Tony Blinken. Obama's, uh, excuse me, Biden's uh, pick for Secretary of State was involved in a consultancy firm that was basically helped. He worked for uh, the Obama administration, Anthony Blinken. Then he set up with Michelle Florinay a consulting firm that basically helped defense contractors get government contracts. But he's a new father we're seeing tweets about. The first sitting father, uh, uh, a young parent a secretary of state. How, how cute. Barack Obama, was he as bad as Trump? No. But should he be celebrated as some progressive champion? No. He should be put into the historical, con- historical context. First black president, all of that. Great. We, all, we could all be happy about that part. But he don't give a damn about young people. His policies didn't give a damn about young people. His rhetoric could say whatever it wants, but he was instrumental in basically eliminating the youth, the young people's vote for president, and that would be Bernie Sanders. So to Obama, I say, get over yourself and stop gaslighting America.